Hello and welcome to Is This Anime? I'm your anime expert, Jack Metcalf. And I am here as well, guest hosting. I'm guest hosting. I know we're we're still we're still dealing with the post-Malcolm era, which is also the Malcolm era is also still going on because these episodes are are in between Malcolm and I's uh Berserk coverage. So it's a whole confusing thing, but bear with us. At least we're covering some very, very cool things, which is Gurren Lagan episodes nine to 15. And um, what an, it's funny. I mean, we're just fucking jumping into it. We're just jumping right into it. But it's funny because this is the portion of the anime that I feel I remembered the least well. I don't know about you. I can can agree with that. Um, It's, it's one of those where it, it's almost like that sort of hero's journey where you hit where you hit that low point because you know where we left off last time was uh, Kamina who uh, we thought was going to be the the main guy like just the protagonist and he ends up dying um, and it just rocks everyone's world and it almost just kind of shakes us down to our it shakes everyone down to our core and you kind of pick up in in the in the next episode episode nine with everyone trying to process the death of kamina and and really like i remember watching it for the first time like i was speechless um and i really felt that grief going through it because truly like that had i'd never seen an anime or really a a piece of animation at that point where you had this character who was set up to be the hero the guy just up and die yeah, and I mean, so I mean, even the structure of these seven episodes. I mean, I know that I know the show is built in its own way. It was it was not designed for our podcast, but this second act, um, especially upon rewatch, is so interesting because you, you really spent a kind of three episode mini arc focused on Simone's grief and uh, him eventually, you know, uh, getting out of it. And I think what's so s- smart about those three episodes in particular, um, and just this overall and and just as overall arc, but really those three episodes of, of Simon processing grief and to a lesser extent, um, uh, Yoko and everyone else is that it lets us know one, that the stakes are real. Um, because truly this is, this is a silly robot anime. Like when you get right down to it, it's just a silly robot anime. People are running around there. There's, there's booby physics that, that defy, that defy all the laws. But then you have this main character pass away and then you realize anyone's kind of up for anyone's kind of up for being killed it's almost like um uh the the contemporary american reference that i think of when when growing up was um uh, joss wheaton uh a lot of in a lot of his stuff like he would have some, he would have a character literally like a, just a main character just all of a sudden die and pass away and i felt very similar to uh to this and it also let us know that these characters were real um, so often, and especially like I think, uh, like in shonen anime and, and everything like that, you have these characters that um, that while they're very heroic and everything like that, you don't see them on their bad days. And I think that seeing Simon, seeing seeing Yoko, seeing everybody in those moments really lets us relate to those characters on a deeper level. Yeah, I mean, well said. I mean, I, I couldn't say it better. But yeah, these three episodes are just such a great exploration of Simone's grief and also the other characters um, in, you know, a very 2007, 2008, uh, where, whenever this aired, uh, of course, we get a Yoko uh, shower scene, her grieving in the shower. Of course we do, because uh, it wouldn't be anime if we didn't have like the, the young, the young, quote unquote, hot love interest, um, you know, like in a shower scene, because otherwise, you know, what what is anime without that? Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, so we first of all, we get uh, the introduction of the four generals who are kind of our bosses 
uh, for these seven episodes for the second act of the show. Um, did you have a did you have a favorite of the generals? Oh my god, um, man, that one's tough. Cause I, so, I personally, um, I think because I, I think you see the four generals sort of trope a lot in a lot of mm. anime. Um, Yu Yu Hakusho is a very uh, a very good example. Um, but I think uh, I know we saw uh, Tilim uh, in in episode in episode uh, eight, uh, seven and eight. Um, he was okay. I think honestly, my favorite was um, what was his name, Guame. Um, yeah. uh, I thought he was probably my favorite. Um, Cytomander the Swift. I think he was like kind of an upstart, um, shallow brat, and he was my least favorite, honestly, out of the four. <laughs> um, but Guame, I think, was the the coolest because he. Um, was very calculating and i think that um that sort of four generals trope that you see in a lot of anime is uh i thought it was done very very well here um because some of them were like i said sedimander was this just arrogant little shit and then guame was this very deliberate uh very calculate very calculating individual and very intelligent which is um a little bit unusual in a lot in a lot of anime usually the four generals are like nah, they're four generals like they're very one-dimensional but again like these characters um i felt were on the whole pretty fleshed out yeah guame is fun too he looks kind of um like an armadillo too i like that design he yeah he looks uh he looks like that pokemon um from uh uh, uh what is it called sandshrew like, yeah, exactly. It, That's a good way Sanchu to put it. Yeah, if Sanchu like like did drugs for every day for like twenty five years, like hard drugs, and like has seen shit, like just I just now I'm now just imagining this like like little Sanchu just being like, man, I've seen some I've seen some stuff, and while he's just taking a drag. Yeah, for sure. Um, and also, you know, during during this grief arc, we also get introduced to a very important character in the form of Nia. Because um, Simone, in his like grief days, he he leaves the Daiguren team, and he ends up stumbling upon this capsule, which he opens with his uh, little drill, and uh, that uh, reveals Nia, who of course is going to become a very important character to the series now that Kamina is gone. Yeah, and and she fills this void of of hope, I think, um, but in a very um, raw and almost naive manner. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she does, I think she and Kamini are actually a lot more alike than, than people think, um, in the sense that, like, they, that they do have hope, um, but whereas Kamina's was sort of very, bra- like, very sort of brash, um, brash, I don't know, like, just bluntness, uh, to his, to his optimism, Nia's is very optimistic and almost that ideal sense of ho- of hopefulness that you know no matter what happens if we all believe in each other and we all clap our hands it's all going to be good i don't know why but i i think of her as kind of like almost a, a an anime an anime version of tinkerbell yeah that's like, one way of putting it yeah but she's just she's so lovely and she's so bubbly and i didn't realize it and and again this is the um for those who are just tuning in like um i i watched this uh, subbed for the first time and I recognize the voice actress who played Nia, the English voice actress, and she's the same uh, person who played uh, Starfire on Teen Titans. Oh, of course, it totally sounds like her. Of course. And I was like, oh my god, that's so and it's so smart. Like, and again, quick side note: the 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 um the voice dubbing, the casting for that, like I'm still incredibly impressed. Like, mm-hmm. it's so so hard to do this ca- to do this kind of casting, especially for like a completely different audience. So, like, major props to. Uh, major props to casting, major props to the English voiceover cast, and also major props to the Japanese voiceover cast, because, man, these characters are so, so over the top and so awesome. And everyone, I think, pretty much just knocks it out of the park. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, also, Catan gets a ton of great stuff in these episodes. Again, Catan, who starts off as this like douchebag, but again, he's a believer in the cause, and I just love that. Um, yeah, and he he grows up. He mm-hmm. we start to see that growth. Um, and again, like I know this kind of Simon story, like him getting over the grief, but then you see everyone kind of grow and adapt and deal with and deal with the death of Kamina. Um, Yoko is very dedicate she she's trying to hold it all together for people there was one of my i think one of my favorite scenes of this arc probably of the whole series which was i think her and uh i think it was dayaka head of jihad village and they were talking Mm -hmm. about simone just you know grieving and and dayaka's like well why don't you help why don't you help him like kind of get out of it why don't you help him kind of get out of it and then um yoko just starts listing names and they are names of people that she and dayaka knew who have since passed away from fighting. And she said, we've known a lot of people, but we, but we keep going and we live for them. And we have learned to pick ourselves up. And Simone has to do the same thing, essentially. I'm very poorly uh, paraphrasing the whole conversation, but it was just such an impactful scene. Um, and it really, every time I watch it, it's just, it's a gut punch. And yeah, and Kitan, I think also as well, to go back on it. I'm being very ADD about this show because there's, yeah. there's so much to cover in this. But um, Kitan, I love that he starts to like grow up. Like you said, he he starts off with this sort of like arrogant douchebag trying to show up Kamina. And now Kamina's gone. So what do you do? And he now starts to become almost this sort of pseudo stand-in leader for the Daigurim Brigade. Um, yeah. And everyone grows up. Yeah, I I love the moment um, at the at the end of this kind of a uh, grief arc, as I'm referring it to, uh, when Simone does finally get out of that, and you know he he does the uh, the Giga Drill break again. It's Guame, right? He does it against Guame, right? Yes. Yeah. Um. So when he has this like big goddamn hero moment, we actually do have Katan who declares Simone the leader of the Daigurin Brigade, and that's just a, such a fantastic moment. And it's also mature on his part too, because you know. He could very well have taken the leadership duties, uh, mm-hmm. but instead he hands them to Simone. Yeah, and he almost is very much a, a stand-in for Kamina. So again, for Kitan, it could have been anybody for to say that you are the leader, but for Kitan to do that, it's all it is the next best thing to Kamina saying you are now the leader of the group. Um, and everyone just grows up so much in 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 just those three episodes and learning how to deal because. You know, again, throughout all of this, they also have taken over this giant Guren and are living in it, and they're trying to figure out how to use it. Which I just got to say, the um, I forget the name of the the, the ship, um, but it's basically just a giant walking robot with a boat, just wearing just. It looks like a really terrible, like if like someone saw a very terrible costume idea at like at like a uh, like a college party and then just kind of dr- made it into an anime it's just so weird and ridiculous and it again it shouldn't work but it completely does and you completely buy into the world yeah no i i love it uh again you you need a good fortress in a in a mecha anime you really do and it's such a great fortress and it moves and it and it's got this whole like personality to it it's just so much fun yeah um, there's something also I, I want to talk about, which is the moment um, where we where we hear the story that uh, Kamina had told Yoko about how it was actually like Simon that truly saved them all, um, because Kamina himself was inspired by Simon's ability to just keep digging way back then. Oh yeah, and I think we we heard about that story in part in part one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I think because if I remember correctly, like a, a 
Kamina had kind of mentioned, or no, I think Simon had mentioned that story. Um, or no, I think it was, yeah, Simon mentioned the story first, and you hear it from his perspective. And then when Yoko hears the story, and then when Yoko hears the story, or when Yo- uh, when Yoko sees Simon uh, digging at- digging out of the cave to go save Nia to go uh, re- to go recapture the fortress, she remembers the story that Ka- she remembers the story from communist perspective from what Kamina said. And I really love that idea of like you know you may remember you may remember something in one way, but someone else may re- remember it in a completely different way. Um, mm-hmm. And it was so and it's such a, um, a I think like a tone shift and it al- and it subverts our expectations um, okay. because. And I think that was the moment where we kind of knew that Simon was going to be this like ultimate badass because you all you kind of realized uh, that Kamina was almost a red herring because, yeah, he was the big brash whatever guy. But you realize the only reason why he could feel as brash and as loud and as reckless as he was was because Simon always had his back. And that's how he saw it. And really, perception is as perception does. Yeah. Um, we also get a moment. Uh, this is in episode 10 where, where y- Yoko and Nia, they kind of get into an argument o- over their own views of how to treat the death of Kamina. Because effectively, Nia is basically telling Simone, it's like, listen, Kamina has gone now. So, you know, you just need to move on. And it's like, I never met this person, but he's gone. And, you know, what what more can you do? And then Yoko, meanwhile, of course, is like, no, we have to remember him. Uh, and she does sc- scold uh, Nia pretty hard. Doesn't she like slap her, or am I misremembering that? Um, I, not, I don't remember. I, don't but I remember it was it was. I I probably blocked it out because of the trauma. Still, we were st- <laughs> still kind of processing the trauma of the death of Kamina, so yeah. we probably just blocked it out. But it, you know, again, it kind of goes to grief and like. Um, I'm I'm very fascinated with psychology and like what was so cool about these about watching everybody process grief is that everyone deals mm-hmm. with it in a certain way and then nia comes in and says guys you just you have to move on and that's not incorrect but that's also not totally correct you can still mm-hmm. grieve for someone and still move and still move on um while still remembering them and 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 still kind of keeping them in your heart and i think all of them are really right um but all of them are just kind of dealing with it but you know nia's also again that sort of like hopeless optimism like well he's not here anymore like I don't know this guy. He's dead. Well, just kind of move on. And she can kind. Of, she's almost kind of like a uh, like just that outside voice to kind of help people to help people to move on. Um, and she just becomes this very inspirational like person. And you know, yeah, she kind of says the wrong thing. Yeah, she um, doesn't know anything about the world, but she's just this very inspirational um, beacon. And again, you have this. Um, what I loved about the about the interaction between Nia and Yoko was. Again, we're subverting that expectations because Yoko, we kind of thought was going to be the the love interest almost of the main mm-hmm. character of the other main of the other hero being Kamina, and Kamina's gone. So usually, what would happen would be like you know Yoko and Simon would get together. Um, but now you have Nia, and it's almost I kind of saw it as like a passing of the torch, almost. You know, Yoko's kind of handing it off to the next. Yoko's kind of handing it off to the next generation, even though they're really not that. There's not a huge age difference between them. And, you know, Yoko becomes, like, a really an incredible character in her own right and kind of grows out of that trope a lot. Um, and I really love that. I loved this arc also because pretty much universally, almost every single character has so much growth that is outside, like, their stereotypical, stereotypical norm. Like, uh, Liron, who, you know, in the beginning, we talked about this, it's, you know, uh, in part one, it's the stereotypical 2007, you know, 
kind of the 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 gay jokes haven't really aged all that well and now he has sort of come into his own um and started to be this you know real almost almost kind of like a like a stand-in a stand-in um uh, leader for when uh simon is kind of on the front lines and i think that again like you know and now we talk about that and it's not you know as big a deal but back then i think that's that was probably a much bigger deal to kind of subvert those expectations um and i really like that that um uh that the writer that the writers just didn't like didn't lean into those tropes they gave us again these very like fleshed out characters uh let's talk the beach episode because that that episode is fun for the first half and then the second half gets pretty fucking intense it does and i'm so glad they didn't do a full beach episode so glad Uh, (laughs) (laughs) if i have to watch another full beach episode or a full hot springs episode in another (laughs) anime I am going to stab someone in the throat with a spoon. It is, I, I understand that it's a trope. I get it. I understand it. But, it, but again, you're playing with that trope of, you know, of, oh, let's, let's ogle, let's ogle the animated characters. They're so pretty. Um, and then we have this very serious fight at the end. And it kind of, and again, it kind of subverts that expectation and we don't go back to it. And it's great. It's so great. Yeah, uh, poor Viral because Viral himself has his own arc in these seven episodes because of you know he he's kind of he doesn't change loyalties yet in this arc, but you can definitely see his conflicts of the way that you know his conflict with the way that Lord Genome is running things and his own questions he's having. Yeah, he goes from a straight from he is transitioning from like a villain to like not necessarily a hero but more like an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Um, uh like i do really like how he plays a lot with um with honor and how he sticks to his principles and i think that's one of the like the most consistent things in um of his character is like if it goes against his principles he's just not going to do it um there was a moment where i think he's fighting in i think it's cytomander's i forget which episode this is um, yeah it's a, it's the cytomander one where like cytomander yeah. has like um he's 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 kind of using yoko as a bargaining chip and he's feeling really uncomfortable with what that whole thing yeah, because it's just it, to him, it's just not honorable, and he just you know he stands down. And again, that's just that was like the transition point. Um, and then he goes to uh, and then he goes to our 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 big bad of the of parts one and two, and you know he that's when he kind of has like a sort of crisis of faith. Yeah, um, he does have a crush on uh, is it Ari Adiane? I, I keep on Adiane. Adiane. Yeah, he's got a really? crush on her. Yeah, you didn't notice I, that. I. I must have not paid attention because I was too busy watching him get the shit, watching uh, 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 uh kick the shit out of him. No, he definitely um, like, and you know, he's like, he also when she's, uh, he tries to persuade her to escape at one point in the episodes too. And of course, you know, that kind of contrasts with um, Simone's own arc with him and Kamina. So even Vera is kind of, kind of picking up on what's happened with Simone, I feel. And, you know, trying to prioritize, you know, bonds and friendships. Uh, but in this case, the the people he's trying to pursue a bond with are already uh, have already drank in the Kool-Aid, unfortunately. See, this is why you're the host, because I did not pick up on that at all. Um, so you were looking at this with a much more analytical eye, whereas I was just like, oh, my God, my nostalgia, my nostalgia bone is tingling. So this is why you're the host. So because I Thank was you. like, that's complete news to me. And I love that. Yay. Yeah, no, uh, again, like I said, Viral, you know, the, the show is not focused on Viral. You know, we're, we're going to get more to talk about him. Again, there's so much stuff we have to tease for really week three. Because week I three, know. I'm re- really excited for him. We can't fucking say stuff. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, we things get some happen. Things happen. And we're also covering 11 episodes. So I have to find a way to pace myself for that. I know. Um, uh, but um, that's a whole nother thing. But, you know, uh, let's talk Roshiu, a character who, who gets to do some stuff, um, but he's still kind of in the background. He, you know, he does get to, to pilot uh, the bottom half of the Gurren Lagan, mm-hmm. um, even kind of soloing against Viral when um, Simone's in his mopey phase. And then yep. uh, there's one episode where he gets knocked out because of Nia's cooking. Oh God, that was so funny. Um, I, that, that part where, cause they think that, what is it? They think that he's like sick the whole time and he's yeah. got some kind of sickness. And then at the very end of the episode, he like runs to the bathroom and I don't, and I just, I, I've always remembered the shot where he like runs to the bathroom in a panic. You hear the flush and then you see him come up and he's completely normal. And you see just like these flat, this bouquet of flowers in the background, just shining. And I, I think when I first saw it, I still, to this day, like I chuckle, but like when I first saw it, I lost my shit. I thought that was like the funniest thing on the planet. I was like, what does it mean? Oh, got it. Got it. It's a euphemism for he for he feels better because he had a bowel movement. Got it. Um, I don't know if I can say that on here, but like it's just yeah. it it was so ridiculous. It was so ridiculous. Um, and and I love that his character that Rossiu and again we we you know we we can talk about him a lot more in part three. But like he he gets a lot of development, but it's in the background. And I think that that's a very, very smart because um, you have like the, the quote unquote, like the louder characters or the, or the more the focus characters like Yoko, um, Yoko, Simon, Nia, even Viral to a certain extent kind of developing, but you see him kind of develop in the background. And I think that that's really smart because then, you know, once we hit part three, then, you know, characters who have been developed in the background, not specifying which ones, uh, gets, you know, get their moment to shine in part three. And I think that's and I think that again, great job by the team by the writing team because, um, you know, okay, it, this much craziness from all kinds of people like you could you could get fatigue, but because they have such uh, they develop each ca- uh, each cast uh, each character very well and give each character their moment to shine, it really doesn't characters don't overstay their welcome. Yeah, and also you know the fact. <laughs> The fact that everyone in the crew loves Nia so much and, of course, was like, oh, sure, we'll eat your cooking only for them all to get food poisoning from her at the end. That, that's a fun little joke. Which is great, except for Simon, of course. Yeah. Uh, there's also some stuff with Lord Genome because uh, Viral gets a big reveal. He finds out um, why the Beastmen were created, uh, which I still don't fully understand. I mean, Jordan, do you, do you understand um, Lord Genome's plan better? Yeah, I mean, so we can kind of tease it a little bit because it really comes into fruition in in part three. But but the parts that I can say, at least that I've learned, was um, he, is Lord Lord Genome um, wants to keep humans underground um, because basically uh, he talks about spiral power, and that's the big reveal is that we find out that Lord Genome is human and he also has spiral power, and he almost kind of likens it to the human condition. And he sort of alludes that, you know, that the spiral power, it will doom, it will doom the human race. It will doom, it will doom us all. And so he creates kind of like the beast men to keep the humans in their place and to kind of not realize their potential. Um, but as a result of that, beast men need to go and recharge. They can't really, they're, they're kind of stuck in stasis almost. Um, 
they have to go they they have to like you know go and recharge like that was a big thing in part one where uh, especially where you know they would where the beast men that they would fight would only fight during the daytime or even in the in the hot in the in the um hot springs episode um the beast the beast men who ran that grand uh that mecca were nocturnal creatures so but they were still kind of limp but they were still kind of limited because they didn't have this power that humans have um and ultimately you know lord genomes thinks that this power is while it's great it will ultimately destroy the human race so that's why he creates these beastmen to kind of keep everybody in their place and yes you know the human race is kind of underground is underground they are scared but at least the human race survives i think that's kind of his thinking is like you know the you know uh, better to say it's not about it's not about individuals it's about the species yeah that that's a far that's a far better way of putting it than i can well i mean I, it's what was it uh if you've never seen the um what uh there's a great uh, uh have you ever seen starship troopers i have yeah so there's that great scene, there's that, um, which underrated film, by the way, very underrated film, but um, there's this part where uh, Neil Patrick Harris talks about um, his char- about his character sending uh, an infantry unit to a planet infected, in- infected with, their, with, the, with the antagonist of the series. And he's like, well, they had a very big, they had a very low survival rate. And his two friends who grew up with him look at him with shock and horror. And he said, oh, you're, he's like, oh, you're upset. Well, too bad. We're in this for the species, boys and girls. You know, they have more. And, you know, every time I watch that, every time I, I hear the explanation of Lord Genome of, of that and his, and his workings, it's, it's messed up. It really is. But in his way, he's a savior. And I think the best part about villains is not that they think that they're villains, but they think that they're doing the right thing. And Lord Genome, while he is very over the top, um, he does believe that he is doing the right thing. Um, he's just kind of as the centuries have gone on, which again, the fact that a human can live for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years is something else entirely, but he's kind of been, uh, he's, he, he is, has been kind of blinded by hubris. And so he does things kind of for fun. He does things kind of for fun. Like we find out about Nia and how he has had hundreds of daughters. And once he's and he kind of uses them as playthings, And once he's done with them, he just discards them. And it's really dark. It's really dark. But again, it's that sense of his, I want to say his just, his kind of curse, almost. He kind of sees it as a curse of like, well, I'm in it from the species. And so he can kind of almost like dehumanize individual, individual people. Because again, as long as the species survives, I'm okay with that. Doesn't really, ma- doesn't really, matter, who, doesn't really matter who survives in the human race, as long as the human race survives. I love a good biblical reference, and in uh, episode 14, uh, um, Lord Genome says that God created humans on the sixth day of creation, uh, which is why, of course, uh, what better day uh, to destroy the humans is on the sixth day of the Battle of Templin. I love that. And you gotta love, and especially uh, since it's from Gynex, you gotta love a good biblical reference, because they do a lot of that in, in Evangelion. Oh, for sure. I mean, oh, the, the biblical stuff in Ava. <laughs> oh my god. We it's, could go uh, on for like twelve hours about the, just the biblical and philosophical references in Evangelion. Alone. The amount, the amount of biblical, and also it's funny because I've like read enough interviews to know that the biblical references were just because they thought they were cool, and there's nothing really that much deeper yep. than that. 
they were just like, no, we just thought this shit was cool. It's like, you know, don't, you know, we cared more about the characters and, you know, though, I mean, like, again, um, fuck, I just forgot his name. Oh my God. The creator of Ava. I can't believe I forgot his name. Oh, um, um, um let me help you out. Stand by. <laughs> I can't, I, I say his name all the time too. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, uh, Hideaki Ano. Ano. Yeah. So uh, Ano himself was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't really, you know, the biblical references were just for fun. It's like, I cared more about the character psychology and stuff like that. But, you know, it's like, you know, Japan's fascination with Christianity is the same way Americans have a fascination with like Japanese stuff. It's like, they, they look at it on a superficial level and like, Oh, this is really cool. And then that's kind of the extent of it. (laughs) Yep. But at the same time, like, you know, we look at it and we go, Oh my goodness. It's so fascinating. Like, like what were they thinking with the process behind this? They want us to think about, you know, and it's like no it's just it sounds it sounds cool because because it is it does you know if you look at it from an objective standpoint like you know those biblical references like they're they're fucking cool like some, they've got some really fascinating stories uh, if you look at it from that perspective yeah um but yes uh c- crushing humanity on the sixth day of this battle is a, is a fun idea um so we get some badass action sequences i don't know i'm looking at, i'm even looking at the summary of 14 i kind of just want to jump into 15 because that's where we get such a big fucking hero moments uh with just you know the horde of robots the horde of humanity's robots and you know i'm not sure if this was in 14 or 15 but the reveal that like they've been projecting um videos of the battles to like other other whole other holes in humanity and now even more of humanity is coming out to help them fuck it's good yeah. shit oh my god that was so cool just that sense of hopefulness because again like you have that sort of like clutch anime moment where like they don't think that they're gonna make it uh, they're really overwhelmed and then all of a sudden you see what well, like at least dozens of mecha um at least dozens of mecha and it's just so damn good it's just this like oh my god this is amazing and again that kind of goes to the sense of like you know humanity is really like is very is very persistent i think uh um lord Genum says something like that um for a while is that he says that they are persistent um so that so it just makes sense that you all have all of a sudden have like all these people going to help and it's just so epic it's so epic uh and then in 15 we have the battle with uh literally the capital of teplin which is in the form of a mecha called the uh the dekabutsu which which in japan literally means large object it is it's really? a large object. It's a large object. Yeah. I mean, li- I mean, literally, yes, it is actually a very large object. It's like, what, yeah. like, m- like probably like a mi- few miles tall at this point. Yeah. Um, and again, just, you know, just going with the physics of it, like, you know, something like that should never be able to move the way it does. But again, it's just, you know, you got to love the world and I, and I love it. Um, and, and like, you know, they have this like, just like really epic, like, uh, really epic moment with with the battleship and trying to get Simon into the, uh, into the capital to actually fight Lord Genome and like it's just the music the the animation um, the the voiceover work it's just it's just top notch. Again, when you when you see this mecha, you're just like shit. This is as, this is as big as it gets. It's pretty goddamn big. And then uh, as we'll see in part three, you know, part three is like, yeah. hey, hold my hold my beer. Uh, it's like, oh, hold my hold my beer, hold all this stuff. <laughs> I'm about, I'm about to throw down some fisticuffs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it, uh, oh, can I just say one one moment is, um, and I think it's probably one of my favorite moments in the whole series, um, which is 
um, when uh, Genome and Simon go head to head, and Genome has his like has his own like spiral mecha. Um, what uh, Lazengan? I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And they have like this like just like amazing bout of of spiral power and everything like that, and it is an absolute be- absolutely beautiful thing to watch. But you've never seen this much power up to this point in the series, and you get and basically um, Lord Genome is just completely overpowering him, um, and and I love it. And I I'm I'm blanking on where I go, but the, they're basically having this giant like essentially like a beam struggle, and then like and he's just the whole time like. Um, the whole time Lord Genome is just like, oh, this is fun. This is enjoyable. I'm enjoying this. And I love that sort of ca- that sort of cavalier fucking attitude that he has. I forget. The, yeah. I forget the moment, but I, I don't want to I don't want to spoil it because I don't know if you want to say it. Lord Genome is such a fucking Chad. I, I love his design. I'm not sure if what he has are <laughs> scars or or he's just really hairy. It's hard to tell if he's just like scarred or just like a hairy, hairy beast man. <laughs> L- little the, a little b probably prob- pro- probably exactly that and of Your course you know, stars. Has- also i just love bearded characters uh we unfortunately don't get a lot of bearded anime protagonists i don't know why um but i love a good beard um and lord genome has one it's a fantastic it's a fantastic beard As somebody who can't grow a beard like i can grow five i can grow five o'clock shadow in about five days um <laughs> so any bearded character um i immediately feel uh, a little bit jealous of because especially his his facial hair is just top notch just 12 out of 10 uh would facial hair again yeah i mean you know th- this whole episode is such a banger it's one of those episodes that just makes me put down my phone because just the animation and the music it's again episode 15 is what you would feel would be the finale of the show because it is building up to you know the big the big boss effectively yeah. uh so, you know, it's climatic as fuck. And, you know, you get all these, like, you know, humanities, you know, last stand and all these robots, you know, flying out and, you know, beating up other robots. Again, it's fuck. It's it's such good mecha shit. Fuck. Um, that's all, that's <laughs> okay? all I can say. Are you okay over there? That's all I can say, man. It's, it's such. It's so goddamn good. And yet, and yet, what we're, again, we're dicing around it. You know, and I can't wait for next week when we get to go into why I love this series so much and why I recommend it to so many people. But even then, episode 15, compared to any other anime on any scale, still a huge fucking banger. Yeah. And honestly, they could have they could have left it off at 15 and it still would have been honestly completely satisfying, pretty much. Yeah. So, um, you know, the confrontation, you know, it's a big mech fight, of course, you know, Simone and, you know um lord genome <laughs> they're destroying each other's mechs and then it does come down to just uh simon's basic uh gurin gurin mecha going at him and then again lord genome being such a chad doesn't even need a mech to fight you know against you know the two drills that simon has yeah uh wait did you call him did you call it uh his uh, gurin or, or logon? Oh, I, fuck i got confused is gurin the, the head or logon the head uh L- logon is the head gurin is the body. oh fuck yeah it's logon it's okay. It's it, I, there's so there's so much mecha and there's so much characters. You're just like, oh my god, amazing colors, I, awesomeness. What is this? My my logic jumped to like you know, Gurren is the first word, so therefore it's the head. But uh, no, uh, so it's Logon versus Lord Genome, and again, Genome being the chat that he is, does, doesn't even need a mecha to uh, to handle it. Um, but you know, he kind of death grips Simon, but then Simon, you know, he's got he's still got one drill left, and he just straight up. 
<laughs> drills a hole through Lord Genome's chest. Which is so uh, awful because you he, have like it's so fucking weird and you just go, oh god, oh god, what what just happened? It's it's terrifying and it it remind uh like what is like it's that classic like Dragon Ball Z OP just like coming out just like coming out of left field, you know, bottom of the ninth, base is loaded, we're just gonna like just fucking nail him. And it's so good. And Genome is still standing. He's still standing when he has a hole through his chest. Which is, okay, can we talk about the hole for a second? So so he gets a hole blown in his chest. And not just his chest, his whole fucking yeah. torso. So literally, and like for anybody who's listening who hasn't seen it yet. So basically, Simon takes this little core drill, which is essentially like the size of like a standard car key. Puts it in his chest. And then turns it turns the key on like he'd turn on a car. And then all of a sudden it's just like, I'm a fire my laser. Bleh. And like it's this amazing hole. And it's literally goes from like the bottom of Lord Genome's neck to uh to like his like navel. And then like over like r- cuts off right before like uh like right at the base of his shoulders. It's just a hole. And it makes no sense. And he's still talking. And that shouldn't work. It really shouldn't work, and it just kind of blew my mind. And I think I remember when I watched that moment when he started talking after the hole was blown in him, still standing. I think my brain broke. Yep. <laughs> I had to rewind it. The fr- I had to rewind like what he said because I was like, "What?" Because like before that, you have these moments of like how fucking powerful like uh, Lord Genome is. Like um, the 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 beam struggle I was talking about earlier, where like. His uh, um, Lord Genom's Mecha, the Lazengan, and and Gurren Lagann—they're having this massive beam struggle, and you know how powerful Simon is because of the buildup in the series. And Lord Genom, again, just like a fucking Chad, just literally, while the beams are going on, just hops out of his Mecha and just casually walks over to his Mecha and just like starts punching um, Simon's Mecha with his bare fist while the beam struggle is going on. And you're just like, what? How? This, oh my god, like, I remember watching the moment and be like, oh shit, something's gonna go down. And then again, for Simon to just be that OP and then just, like, completely overpower him and blow that hole in his chest, it's just, it's so satisfying. It's so fucking satisfying um, watching that and being like, yeah, fuck you, Lord Genome. So here's the thing. After, after this confrontation, uh, Genome tells Simon one last thing. When the land fills with one million apes, the moon will become Hell's messenger and eliminate the world of the spiral. Uh, and then he falls backwards uh, to presumably his death. Uh, or is it? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, n- no body, no body, no death, as they say. Yeah. And it's just like, it again, it's this very ominous, scary thing. And, you know, everyone's celebrating. But now you have this little prophecy hanging over, uh, hanging over the head. Yeah. Over, so, hanging over everyone's heads. And it's, ooh, it's scary. It's, it's almost as if, you know, could there be another threat? Did we, you know, I, again, I'm a big fan of, of Japanese role-playing games. I mean, I, I, I've played more of them than I've watched anime. And the fun, the fun thing about JRPGs is um, anytime you think you've killed the final boss, the game's only like two-thirds of the way through. It's not a true JRPG unle- until you kill God. And if you haven't killed God yet, the game isn't over. Basically, yeah, that's essentially what we're saying is, okay, if you want to like, w- like win the game, just kill God. That's, that's how, that's how, that's how the game works, kids. Yeah. Uh, that's how you, life works. You got, no. you got to get to, you got to get to that level though. How is it, how is it a good video game if you don't get to the point where you're, you know, in space and killing God, if you're just, you know, okay, cool. They took over a capital city, humanity's safe, but 
but what more is there left? Um, and I mean, Naruto took that to a, to also to an extent, but it did so in a way that I did not like. Were they? <laughs> I can agree with that to a certain extent. Did you watch Naruto? Or I, yeah, I, only yeah. watched, I only read the manga of it, but I didn't like the whole Kaguya twist. That that to me was too much left field. Um, I liked it. I thought I thought it was interesting. I did feel like it was a bit like jumping the shark. Um, but it was okay. Like I was like yeah. okay. Like I can I can believe it wasn't wasn't quite my cup of tea, but uh, okay. Fair enough. Um, who knows where Baruto will go? Who knows where the what the power scaling for that? Sh- uh, I, I show. will say there <laughs> the big thing because I haven't seen I haven't seen any Baruto yet, and I've gotten like updates, and I know that there's one major update with Naruto in it, and I don't know if I want to spoil it because I don't. Know yeah, I guess not. It. I I know but of like, it, but maybe the audience doesn't want it because we've never yeah, covered it. Yeah, but I know. Yeah, I know that there's like stuff in there, and I've and I've seen bits and pieces where I just go like, oh god damn it. Like I just go, God damn it, you did why'd you do that? And you know, you don't get that feel you, you know, again, I think that, that ha- that's what happens when you have like an like a, a show that goes on kind of way too long. And I think and we can talk about this more in part three, but what's great about Grand Lagan is that it doesn't really overstay its welcome. Yeah. No, it doesn't. I mean, you know, it gets to where it gets to in twenty seven episodes. And yeah, that's what I always tell people. It's only twenty seven. Like, you know, other other shows take, you know, hundreds of episodes to get to this scale so that's the thing but anyways on the morning of the seventh day of the battle to capture teplin the capital city fell and you know who who knows what other stories may come of this um i think that wraps it up i don't know if there's any more highlights before we get into our our favorite little segment i don't know about you jordan if there's any other highlights from these episodes you want to just get off your chest um i think that just overall just overall um, and you mentioned this earlier uh, at the top of the episode with it being almost like kind of like the you almost kind of you remember this arc the least. And I think that there's something to be said about that. I think that this is the unsung arc, but I think this arc does the heavy lifting. Um, yeah, it's it's very, very arc one set uh, part one sets us up um, for the world. Part three is just the crazy finale. So we can go as big as we want. But part two, I think, is the most difficult part of any trilogy what what have you um just look at star wars for for instance um and if you have a great part two i think even if like part one and part three are kind of meh it's still a it's still very very solid and i gotta give like part two props because they this these episodes did a lot of heavy lifting in a very short amount of time um and it really made me really resonate and really um really really be empathetic towards these characters all right, let's get to it. Let's uh, talk our favorite segment. Uh, cue the music. Allow me to elucidate ya. The name is Robert E.O. Speedwagon. So for those just showing in, the Speedwagon is our favorite uh, supporting character of this batch of episodes. I don't know why you would just be joining in. This is part two. Why, why didn't you watch part one? Either I mean, way, this, I... there, there are people, <laughs> it, you know, it's like those people who, uh, when they pick up a book, they read the last chapter first and then go back to the beginning. It's probably those people. Uh, my Speedwagon is a deep cut. I even had to look his name up um, in the Wikipedia. His name is Ardenborough uh, Kortich. 
Uh, he's the guy, he kind of has like a little, he kind of has a clown face, like really big lips. Um, he's the guy who, in, in the Wikipedia, they describe him as the guy who's always pressing buttons. Which is true, actually. That's, that's literally his job. I love it. He was a character who, especially just upon rewatch of the show, I think he's a good speedwagon. He's a minor character, probably will never pick up his name. Uh, but he's a fun background character. He's just a dude who likes to be the guy to press the explosives, you know? Um, so I think Cortage is is the unsung hero of Gurren Lagan because, you know, somebody's got to, you know, do the whole, you know, fire everything bullshit. Right? Oh, I love that. Uh, he, and, you know, they got to do that. Someone's got to press the button. Yeah, uh, this is this is his history. <laughs> Although uh, he does not have a major role in the first story arc, he is usually seen when the team needs to fire at an enemy, causing him to hit a button or several buttons that launch several explosive weapons simultaneously with varying results. Is what that a character! Whole Wikipedia entry. Uh, and then there's the uh, the part uh, third act portion, but I won't say oh, that. Okay. Okay. I was like, Jesus! Like that oh. is a short entry. Good God. Oh. Um. What I guess no second arc he's yeah in the second arc he is first seen with Leron's science team he causes Leron's chair to spin rapidly after misinterpreting a command made by him so what a character what a what a guy who makes his mark in the Wikipedia <laughs> oh that's right oh I forgot about that part oh it's so cute it's so right. funny so who's your uh, speed wagon for this portion man I'm I'm gonna do I'm probably gonna do another deep cut because I. I had already talked about this character before, but I think he serves a bigger role. But instead, I'm going to go with the uh, the old man who uh, we saw him in part one. He's the old man who uh, um, in the Hot Springs episodes, we kind of see he kind of guides um, uh, Team Gurren to the Hot Springs. And uh, I, I had to look up his Wikipedia and his, his name up in Wikipedia as well. It's Old Coco. Um, he is a silent man. He doesn't say anything, um, but he is just there to kind of uh, be a catalyst for very key moments. Um, for instance, when uh, Nia wants to go and see um, wants to go and see her father, Lord Genome, uh, with Simon. Simon, uh, Simon basically, you know, go like shows up in Gurren Lagan and brings the Mecha Hand forward, and then all of a sudden the door opens in front of Nia to let her go on, and she turns around, and there's this old dude who's just there and presses the button and gives her this uh, this affirmative nod to be like yeah go get him and i just love him because he just jumps in and jumps out and like you really don't get we don't get an explanation for for who or what he is until like the end of part three but he was just so cool and it's that character it's um one of those characters um that i i call it one of those uh breadcrumb characters um i don't know if that's a term but i made it up I, it's trademarked but he the breadcrumb characters do like a like one thing they to keep you interested and they do it in a way and they're placed very strategically so that if you are interested if you're or if you're waning interest they pop in they do one thing and then they leave you go wait what the hell was that and now you're invested again in the show and i think old coco uh you're my guy i i really i i, I you were like the grand the grandfather that that i that i wish i had because you're you're fucking awesome dude I love it. Um, final thoughts. I already feel like you kind of articulated your final thoughts, Jordan. You kind of jumped ahead there. Um, but I've got, but I've got mine. Um, yeah, I think this arc, like, like I kind of said at the top, I didn't remember it as well, but I really began to appreciate it. I think the fact that they spent three whole episodes on grief was fantastic. 
Um, we get a beach episode as like kind of, kind of a solid like in betweener uh, before the big battle. Yeah, I think the structure of this arc is just you know really good. Um, yeah. You know, there's some you know fantastic big goddamn hero moments. I mean, you know, uh, Simon getting to shit together and uh, doing Giga Drill break against uh, Guame is fantastic. Um, again, we get some character development with everyone. Yeah, Gurren Lagan is a good show, guys. And, um, you know, I'm really excited uh, to do the gauntlet that is 11 episodes. Um, so clearly we're going to have a lot to fucking talk about. And also all the stuff that we've been dicing around. So, you know, enjoy yeah. that. Enjoy the fact that we can actually fucking say something on this podcast after, you know, two episodes of being like, ooh, guess what? Guess what? Um, Bring your tea, everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's about to go down. I know. I kind of want to start the episodes, you know, right now, honestly, because again, there's just so much good shit. Um, I will probably watch them twice or at least kind of do a skim over um, for my second run. Yeah. And I mean, again, it's so good. And again, that buildup, like part arc one introduces the world. Arc two does the really heavy emotional lifting. And now arc three, we get to see the really crazy stuff and see it all come together. So watch the show, tune in because we're going to geek out like crazy. All right, Jordan, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok, uh, at jmitchelllove. Uh, that's with three L's. Um, just come over and, you know, say hi. Fantastic. And you can find me at Jack is Jack on uh, Instagram, only real Jack M on Twitter. You can find the podcast at is this at is this anime pod on Instagram and Twitter. We're definitely more active on the Insta. And yeah, Enjoy it, guys. You know, have a have a nice time. No, what was I saying? No, next week is not going to be Gurren Lagann. Next week, we're going to continue our Berserk coverage with Malcolm's uh, final episodes. But that will also be good. Good in a different way, because Berserk is, of course, uh, very bleak and depressing. <laughs> so enjoy the sad. Come back for the happy. Uh, it's going to be a good one. All right. Be a nice Bye. Contest. Bye.